Well, we're in a new series that we've entitled The Life in Focus or Living in Focus. And it's a six-week series. We don't do a lot of these. But as the elders talked about what this next sermon series may be like, I got to be honest with you, as elders, we've spent a lot of time in counseling over the last six months. And the counseling has revolved around two specific things. Number one, the issue of parenting. And number two, the issue of marriage. And if you've noticed, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years dedicating our equipping times and our times of teaching to two major subjects. We believe it is of vast importance that we here at Village Bible Church encourage and equip our parents and our husbands and wives to be the best that they can be and teach them what God's Word has to say on those subjects. But we're going to go beyond that in this series because we're going to look about what it means to live in focus if you're unmarried. Or maybe you're divorced. We're also going to look at the relationship that we have all, whether we're married, divorced, or single, to our relationship with money. And we're going to do that over the next six weeks. And then uh, as uh, we enter into the month of June, we're going to get into a great fish story because we're going to spend the rest of the summer in the book of Jonah. So that can kind of put it out there for you that that's where we'll be going next. So I would ask that you would grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Deuteronomy 6. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You don't have to go very far in the, in the Bible from the table of contents. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. Now, i got to tell you, speaking on the subject of parenting is tough. Because there are many people standing there today and saying, how old can this guy be? Well, I'm 33 years of age. I have three children, the oldest being six. Now, I can assure you, I don't have a lot of experience being a parent. I've loved every moment of it. In fact, uh, early on, uh, Amanda, right after uh, we had Noah, Amanda needed to finish uh, the last part of her school year uh, at the West Aurora School District. And I was given the task with my mother-in-law to take uh, a couple days a week in watching our newborn son, Noah. Now, I didn't have the luxury of staying home with Noah, so I had to take him to work with me. And uh, for some that don't know, I'm bivocational. I run a catering company. And I took this newborn, he was only about probably six weeks, eight weeks old, to the catering shop. Now, the catering shop is a big kitchen that has a lot of activity going on. And I remember I was never more nervous about going to work because I carried so many diaper bags and this and that, car carriers. And I thought, it's going to be an easy day at work. Well, it, it was far from it. That baby cried and he cried and he cried. I couldn't get him to stop crying and he had to eat and eat and eat. And every time I thought I would get to something. But I I started thinking, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I can think of a way to do this better. Well, we, we figured out some ways. First of all, if you have a new dad and you're trying to figure out how to do other things while taking care of your, your child's feeding uh, habits, what you do is get one of those uh, car seat mobiles, okay? And then make sure that the mobile has a circle around it about the size of the bottle, okay? Hang the, from the mobile the bottle. Have you ever seen a rabbit feeder? You take that... And you put it in just enough that the baby, because you want the baby, you know, I've read in parenting magazines, you want them to uh, get strong necks. You want the baby to lean just forward, just enough to feed. And that's what we did. 
And that's what we did. It was, it was glorious. It was wonderful. Baby got fed and everything. Then we knew that he wanted to see the shop and all that. So we put his car seat right on a cart and we just moved him around wherever we needed to take him. And he was great. Well, the last part of the day, I was feeling pretty good. Man, I've taken care of him. He's fed. He's got clean diapers. He's doing great. Well, he started crying on the way home, and I, I didn't know what to do. He's screaming in the back seat. And, of course, you've got to keep your eyes on the road, and a dad doesn't stop to pull over to check on the child. He does it while driving. And I notice that if he's screaming, there's a good chance the pacifier isn't in Noah's mouth. And so I reach back and I find the pacifier still driving. And then I did the um, unbelievable task of putting the pacifier back in his mouth. So I felt for a wet spot and I'm, and I'm, I'm pushing it in and then Noah's just going crazy now. And I'm sitting there, take the stupid pacifier, kid. Just take it. And he, for about another 10 seconds, just screaming his head off. And I turn back and his one eye is all red and he's closed. <laughs> And I, my target was just a bit off. So hats off to moms because Lord knows I couldn't do it. But you know, talking about parenting is tough as a young preacher. It is even tougher when your mom and dad are in the audience and even tougher than that when your in-laws are in the audience. So if you want to see if I'm any good afterwards, they'll give you the straight story. I'm just going to look nice up here and smile and tell you a couple things. But you know, parenting is an important task. It's one of the most important tasks that you will ever have as a human being. In fact, uh, one time, uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, the older George Bush, was asked by Barbara Walters what achievement that he was most proud of now, he could have talked about being the head of the CIA. He could have talked about being an ambassador to China, a World War II Navy pilot. He could have said all those things. He could have even said his eight years as vice president to Ronald Reagan. He could have even said, unlike many of us, he could have said, I was president of the United States. But in the interview, he paused and he said, Barbara, none of those things really mean all that much in comparison to the greatest achievement that I've had. And she said, uh, Mr. President, what is it? He says, I still have a wonderful relationship with all my kids. What an incredible testimony. He said, after all these years, they still want to come and see Barbara and I. What a great testimony. Is that your heart this morning, that your children would just have a wonderful relationship with you? Now, we as, as people don't put a high priority on parenting. I was recently watching an episode of Little House on the Prairie. I know, he wears pink, now he watches Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Real men wear pink and watch Laura Ingalls Wilder. And Charles and Carolyn Ingalls were traveling to Minneapolis. They were going to a high school reunion. I kind of thought that was odd because back in the prairie days, they had high school reunions. Well, they must have. And they headed to uh, Minneapolis to the big city. And when they got there for their reunion, they were amazed at where all their classmates were at. They were doing amazing things. There were doctors and lawyers and, and rich people. It seemed that they were the odd group out, just a young couple from Walnut Grove, Minnesota. You would have thought, man, they would have thought to themselves, man, they've been failures. Just a farmer living in a small home out in the prairie. 
And that's exactly what takes place because uh, what they find themselves doing in the episode is starting to talk about how great everybody else was because they had money and because they had fame and because they had great jobs. And they began to feel sorry for themselves. They began to say, what have we done? What great things have, have we done in our lives? We're failures. Until the time comes when they roll back up before their home and their three little girls come out and embrace them and say, Mommy, Daddy, we love you and we miss you and we're so glad you're home. And uh, Charles and Carolyn look at each other and there's nothing said, but the idea there, I believe the producers were saying, was as they found that they were successful because they were the parents that they were. You know, in our world, we put a lot of things above parenting. In fact, in a recent uh, magazine uh, survey that was done, parenting was put as number four of the most important things that fill up your time as a parent. Number four. So that tells us why we have so many troubles with young people, why we see the generation going in the direction that it is. We aren't putting the time and energy into it. Well, today I want to speak on this subject and look at what God's Word has to say because we want to be successful as parents. Amanda and I desire nothing more than to be successful in raising Noah, Joshua, and Luke in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I want to see my children grow and love the Lord and honor God in every step of their life. But how do we do that? How do we get there? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us, I would ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 through 9. This is what uh, Moses says uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land so that you, uh, let's see, in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing of milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Father God, we come before you. And as we open your word this morning, we are a people who need to hear from you when it comes to raising children. Father, I know there's a variety of of people in this place today at different places of life. But Lord, we know that your word does not come back void. We know that your word is living and active. So take this passage of scripture and Father, apply it to the heart's in the way that they must hear it. For the new, uh, the new mom and dad, that you would give them patience, that you would give them a love and a devotion to that new child, unlike anything they've experienced before. Father, for uh, those that are my peers, raising children in, in some of the more uh, 
difficult times of, of uh, preschool and, and early childhood, Father, where personalities are being uh, taught and learned and, and Lord, as uh, parameters and uh, guidelines are being established. Lord, give us wisdom and insight. For those that are uh, now dealing with uh, the teenage years, Father, be with the parents as they extend grace and as they extend love as uh, children begin to make their own decisions as they go and are given more opportunities to live their own lives. Father, be with those parents of teenagers. For those that have left the home, Father, we pray that you would give guidance and understanding for parents on when to speak and when to allow their children to experience the good and the bad of life. Father, for those that are uh, my parents' age, Lord, that are watching now their children raising children. Father, impress upon our grandparents that their job isn't done and that they are a wonderful support, a wonderful opportunity for guidance and love unlike any other time in their lives. Lord, we need to know what it means to parent and we want to be successful in it. So we go to you, our heavenly father, who's the most successful, perfect in all your parenting to us. We give you the glory, honor and praise for what you're going to teach us in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. How do we become successful when it comes to parenting? If it is the world's greatest job, then we need to understand how to be good at that job. And the Bible gives us three areas that we can become successful. And our text tells us, first of all, that successful parents, first of all, live the right way. They live the right way. Now, for some who don't know, the book of Deuteronomy was written by uh, the man Moses, the great man of faith. And the book of Deuteronomy, uh, quite uh, frankly, is, is a book that reinstates what's already been done. It's a reminder. It's a repeating of what has already been articulated. How ironic that the subject of parenting would be found in a book where it's being repeated. I've learned repeating uh, very often these days. My son's name isn't Noah. It's Noah, 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 Noah. And on the fourth time after I've gone through his full name, he finally responds. I wonder if your children are that way, that you think that you've taught them and then they have this selective hearing. They don't hear what you're saying until they're good and ready to. But here in the book of Deuteronomy, we see God once again reinstating the important things that he wants his people to hear. And Moses begins to share this story. Now, the reason why in Deuteronomy it's being restated is there's a new generation of Israelites. After 40 years in the wilderness, they're ready to take the promised land. They're ready to go into the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says, hey, we need to go over the rules again. We need to talk about what God requires of us. You see, maybe this, this morning you come from a wonderful Christian family. Maybe you have had Christian parents and Christian grandparents. And as far as you can go back in your ancestry, there have been people that have honored God and loved God. And you say, you know what? I understand it. I know it. Hey, I'm, a, I'm in a Christian family. Therefore, I'm Christian and everything's great. Well, understand this. We, every generation, must choose whom we will serve. Because even though you have a history of wonderful Christian parents and grandparents, it takes one generation to become wicked. 
Look at this, the kings of Israel and Judah. And you'd hear about great king after great king who honored God and served God with all their hearts. And then a son would come and he would not love the Lord his God with all his heart. And wickedness would be found in the kingdom. Your lineage may be great, but it begins with you a new day. My parents' faith will only go as far as I allow it to because it is now my faith that I must extend to my children. So here the Israelites are about to arrive into God's promised land. And they're told a couple things. They're told about that they need to live the right way. And it begins, first of all, as parents living the right way with a proper reverence. A proper reverence. Notice in our text in verse 2. He says, these are the commands and decrees in verse 1 and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Why? So that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Let's stop there for a moment. When we hear about the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, this is not a fear of running away and hiding as if we would from the boogeyman. This isn't a trepidation of fear that grips the heart of our young children when they have a bad dream. The idea here of fearing the Lord is the Hebrew understanding of being reverent before God, respecting God for who he is. And the Israelites are given this command, respect God, revere God, honor God. He is your God. There is no other like him. There's no other before him. He is the one. And so what does that mean for us as parents? When we are parenting our children, our children need to see first and foremost that we have a proper relationship and reverence when it comes to God. Hebrew National Hot Dogs, you know, I love food. And Hebrew National Hot Dog has a a tagline at the end of their commercials. They say that they um, answer to a higher authority. I like that, but I I don't like it as much for hot dogs as I do parenting. Do your children, parents, see you answering to a higher authority? Do they see you saying, hey, I'm just middle management. I have to uh, account to my boss in heaven, my God in heaven. I revere him. He's first place in my life. You see, for many of us, we, our children don't have a proper reverence for us because they don't see us having a proper reverence for our God in heaven. You show them that God's important and that God says that mom and dad are important and your children might revere you and respect you a little more. The second thing that we see is once there's a proper reverence, it comes with a proper response. Notice in the text. How are we to show respect to God? How are we to revere Him? The text tells us. It says that we are to fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by doing what? Keeping all His decrees and commands that He gives you. The way we revere God, the way we respect God, isn't just saying with our mouth, God, I respect you. God, you're the boss. God, I'll do whatever you want. There's nothing more that is more irritating and frustrating to a parent than a child who says, yeah, mom, dad, I'll do whatever you want me to. And when you give them a task, they do the opposite. That's pretty frustrating, isn't it? 
And yet we sit here on Sunday mornings and we say, yeah, God, that's great. I'll, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you say. And what we say is we love you and respect you. But when it comes to keeping the commands, we're like our young children who say, nah, but I don't feel like it. Reverence and respect begins by following the word of the Lord. You can't just do it on Sunday, but notice what the text says. We are to keep all his decrees, not the ones we like or don't like. One thing I've learned with preschoolers and toddlers is uh, they'll respond when things are good. When I say, hey, guys, we're going to, we went bowling this last Friday. I said, hey, we're going to go bowling as a family. They're out in the car. Shoes are on. Shirts are all taken care of. They've gone to the bathroom. They're in the car. It's wonderful. But how about the time it's time to go to school? Oh, now all of a sudden we got concrete feet. All of a sudden now we've got issues. Now, you know, they're all in the car yelling, you know, singing, mom and dad are great, taking us bowling, this is great. And then it's time for school. I don't like mom and dad. They woke me up. I'm having a good time. My brother's irritating me. Why? Because when we ask them to do something they don't like, they, like us, fight back. We need to respond in a proper way. You want your kids to follow your rules and commands? You show them that you follow the Lord's words and commands. You want your kids to be impacted by the gospel and by the book, the Bible? Then you show your children that you are impacted by that book. We need to have a proper reverence. We need to have a proper response. But notice before we move out of this first point, that in verse 2 and 3, there is a, uh, I don't want to call it a reward, but there's a response that comes from God. And this is what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says that you may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. In the Hebrew, the idea of long life is an abundant life. A a life that is full of joy, a life that is full of years, a life that has all kinds of vitality to it. It is the kind of life that we would all want. Notice what he says. He says that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in this land that I've given you. What he's saying is, is when you become a person who follows the Lord and has a proper reverence for God, God says to his Israelite people, he says, man, life will be good. Let me tell you something, something that we many times forget. And that is when we follow God, life may not be all that easy. Life may come with unexpected times of trouble. But I will tell you something, life with Jesus is always good. It's always good. One thing I've learned as a young child was that no matter if the paychecks were good or bad, whether we had money in the account or not, whether we uh, were able to do the things we wanted to or not, or whether calamity had come our way, my parents taught me that being with Christ is good. It's good. And that there's great blessing that comes from it. You want blessing in your family's life? You want blessing on your children's lives? Then show them what it means to revere God. Show them what it means to respect God. And show them then what it means to live by His commands day and night. Are you committed to that this morning? The second thing that we see is not only do successful parents live the right way, they love the right way. 
They love the right way. Now you would say, Tim, your first point has nothing to do with parenting. Where are the uh, timeout procedures? Where is the, the conversation about what to do if your kids won't eat vegetables? My answer to that is give them beef. What happens? You thought I was going to say pork chops. Not after the swine flu. No, pork's okay. Eat pork, okay? But you know what? Parenting, parenting's a lot like a house. You know, we spend a lot of time decorating the part of the house that we see. The windows, the walls, the doors, the carpeting. We spend all that time focused on that. But you know what we don't think about very often? The foundation. Now, the foundation doesn't get a lot of play. It's not seen. We're not worried about it. But a couple nights ago, that wind was blowing. And what I was thinking about was, I am so glad my house is securely fastened to the ground. As the wind is blowing, as storms come, I'm not thinking about how beautiful the painting looks on the walls. I'm just glad the house ain't shaking and moving away from the foundation. You see, parenting's a lot like that. As parents, we worry about all the stuff on the, uh, on the fringe of parenting, schedules and whether they'll eat or not or worrying about where they're going to go to school or, or all those different things. Those are important, but they're on the fringe because the foundation is as parents, it is about us getting our relationships right with God. So how are we to love the right way? Notice what the text says in verse chapter, th- in verse three and four of chapter six, we see the word here. Here in the Hebrew, that is a clarion call. What it is saying is, listen up. I've got an important word for you today. This is from God. This is important stuff. And he says in verse four, what we know as what is called the Shema is hero Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, what does that have to do with anything? God is telling us how to love. Notice what it says later in the text. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You want to love God in the right way? Not just revere Him as your God, but really love Him? That involves two things. Number one, it involves having the right focus. What it means is God must be our focus. Notice what the text says. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What it's establishing is, is and you say, well, why would God say that? Because in a world that has all kinds of gods around them, in a world where their neighbors worshipped everything from the sun and moon and star gods, God says, I want you to know, my people, you worship me. And I am your God. And there are no other gods to be before me. Remember, just previously, we've seen the establishment again, the restating of the Ten Commandments. The first one being that we are to have no other gods before him. And so what does that mean for us as parents? Verse 4 reminds us in parenting that God must be number one. Now as parents, we're busy. We're busy with work. We're busy with uh, the, the maintaining of the home. We're busy with a lot of things. And yet we tell our children that making money is number one. We tell our children that getting that promotion is most important. We tell our children that making sure our golf game is up to par is more important. We tell our children, and this one will cut a little deeper than those might, that our children are more important. Their schedules are more important. Their hobbies are more important than our own relationship with God. You want to be a successful parent? You want to be a parent that sees God bring blessing into your family? Then you say, God, there will be none other before you. 
My job will become secondary. My hobbies and my pursuits will become secondary. My 401k, man, look at it. It's already falling apart, so let that become secondary. God needs to be number one. You know, I learned this early on uh, in my teenage years. Many of you know that I took over the catering from my mom and my dad. And I'll never forget when my dad came and told me, and I'd seen God working in his life, which is an exciting thing to see your parents taking steps of faith. And my dad, I'll never forget, I was working on homework, which seems odd for many of you here, working on homework in the room, finishing up my senior year. And my dad says, I've I've come to the conclusion, after I'm ordained, I'm going to go start looking for a church. And I said, Dad, I said, what about the catering? And he said, I've, I've come to the conclusion catering is secondary to me preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And I sat there and said, but dad, what about the bills? Dad, what about this? There was no church in his future at that point. And he said, we're going to just take it one step at a time and take a step of faith. Wow. Do you show that kind of faith to your children? Do you show that kind of faith with that focus on God? that God is going to supply our needs, that God is going to meet us where we're at, that God is going to take care of us in our times of calamity. God must be our focus. But it involves not just a focus. It involves a fixation. Because notice what it says. It says after articulating that God is to be our God, that He's the only one that we can follow, that there are no other gods before Him, that we are to love Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. The idea here is that our relationship with God isn't a relationship based on duty, but desire. I remember growing up with a friend of mine uh, who went to school, and, and I remember watching his dad. And his dad, every time the son would go and ask his dad for something, the dad would huff and puff and say, man, do I really have to do that now? I'm tired. I don't want to do it right now. Dad, could you fill up this basketball? Dad, could you fix my bike? You know, I've got other things going on. I can't just take care of everything you want. And what I learned was, is that son learned that parenting wasn't about a desire, but it was about a duty. It was about having to do a job. The man probably smiled more at work than he ever smiled with his son. But parenting goes beyond that. It goes deeper than that. Because if you want to have an impact in your children's life, then it begins by showing them that you are in love with something greater than ourselves. That you're in love with God. That you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That you want to do what is right. The reason why I'm in ministry, the reason why my brother is in ministry is not because, uh, you know, we, got, we picked out the cards that say there's the preaching family, they're going to do it. But I've learned, and my brother, if he was sitting up here, would say the same thing. We have learned from our parents that it is good to love the Lord. It is good to follow Christ and to pursue Him with all our hearts. And so that's what I want my children to see. I don't want to see my children saying, you know, my my dad loves the Cubs. My dad loves this. My dad loves that. I want them to see a couple things. Number one, that my dad loves Jesus Christ, that he loves Christ. And number two, that he loves my mom. You get those two things down, your parents are going to, or your children are going to see something radically different than what they see in the world. You need to have the proper fixation. The final thing that we see this morning is successful parents lead the right way. They lead the right way. 
There's some in this world who will say, okay, Tim, I got number one and number two down. I've got a great relationship with God. And I've drilled home to my children that they are to love the Lord. And I've trained them from the earliest of ages. I've got them in Awana. I've got them studying the word of God. Now they'll turn out just fine. And parents cite Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Where does that verse come from? Tell me again, the book of? Proverbs, not the book of promises. Okay, there's a lot of people even in this place who say that's a promise. No, let me tell you what a proverb is. A proverb simply defined, I got to find it in my notes here, is a simple and concrete saying popularly known and repeated, which expresses a truth based on common sense and the practical experiences of humanity. What that means is, is if you continue to pour in your children, there is a good opportunity there, a good, uh, if you're a betting individual, a good chance that your child will grow up through that and grow up and do what you've poured into them. You start teaching your children uh, that work is important and you pour into them on how important work is. And I can assure you, there's a good chance they're going to become people who work very, very hard, who may even become workaholics. You tell them that golf and, and other things are more important and they'll grow up as a child and they'll see how important those things are. Training up your children is the first step, but it goes beyond that. It involves leading, knowing that the end result isn't there. I will do all that I can to raise my three boys up in the way and in the word of the Lord. But I can tell you something. I am scared. I am scared and I pray continually that my boys will not suffer from temptation and suffer from being cast away because they pursue other things than God. And so I train them. I show them how I do that in their young ages. I tell them and I tell them all the time, you want to love Jesus? Then do what Jesus commands. Do what he commands. When your children say, I, I want to love Jesus, I want to honor Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, a parent's response should be simple. Do what Jesus commands. That's what you tell them. Do what Jesus commands. Why? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. So then Noah's response is always, well, daddy, what does he command? Oh, I'm glad you asked, son. Honor mother and father. Let's just start there. I'll give you one. I think I've told you this before. There's one command for children in the Bible. Honor mom and dad and obey them. Real easy. One answer quiz. and You can get 100% on it. Just do that one. You don't have to worry about anything else. But obey mom and dad. So how do we lead our children? Moses gives us two words of encouragement. He says, first of all, we are to store up God's truth. We are to store up God's truth. Look at verse 6 for a moment. In verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. The idea there is that they um, completely are, you're completely full of them. The idea is, is that they are of great importance. They're upon your heart. They're there. They're at the center of who you are. You're thinking about them all the time. Parents, when was the last time you thought about God's word? When was the last time you opened God's word and said, Lord, what is the word you have for me this morning? Lord, what do you want to teach me this week when it comes to being a parent and a father, uh, a husband, uh, an employee, whatever your role in life may be? The idea here would be later seen in Psalm 1. 
where the man of God meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. The idea there is like a, ch- a cow uh, who continues to chew his food and then not to be gross, but, but swallows it and then kind of says, I'm not ready to digest that yet, so I'm going to chew on it some more. It's the idea of the cow chewing its cud. And that's what we're called to do, to allow that to fill us up. How can we dispense something that we don't have? How can we teach our children about a relationship with God that we ourselves do not have? How can we teach our children to be people of the word when we ourselves are not people of the word? Store up the good word of God in your heart. Teach your children that how does a young man and a young woman keep their way pure? By taking in God's word, by meditating on it day and night. But we're not just to hold on to it. We're to be a sponge. We're to squeeze it out. And that involves the second part. We're called to share God's truth. We're called to share God's truth. Moses moves on. He says, I don't want you just to hold on to this. He says in verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're to share God's truth. The word impress in the NIV translation literally comes from a Hebrew word that speaks of the process of sharpening knives. It's just ongoing. There's agitation. There's a process. It's repetitive. The other idea is literally it's used as well as the action of stabbing something. Now, the last thing I want to tell my three boys is about stabbing, but there's a good truth there. Why? Because when you stab something, it penetrates. So the idea here between those two Hebrew words is that it should be repetitive. There should be, it's going to go against the grain. Your children aren't just going to say, yes, teach me about God's word. Yes, teach me about this. It's going to cause some agitation. It's going to rub off some things, but also it needs to penetrate their hearts. Well, how are we to share God's truth? I want you to turn for a moment uh, to 1 Thessalonians. Go to uh, the right in your Bibles. About, uh, I don't know, probably 90 way, 90% of the way through the uh, the Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Small book. If you find books like uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's right after that book. The Apostle Paul writes this book. And he writes this book to a church. And he's talking about being a spiritual father to them. But there are some truths that we can understand because he's making an illustration about how a father treats his children. And he's saying, as an apostle, that's how I want to treat you. And so we see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians, how do we teach our children? How do we share God's truth with them? We do it in three ways. Now notice what he says. In verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says if you want to be uh, good spiritual children, then you need a good spiritual father. Just like in the earth, if you want to have good children, it's going to take a good father. Psychologists say uh, that after a study that was done, that if a child does not have a strong home, they are 90% more probable that they will find themselves in a troubled life in the days to come. 
How important is parenting? It is essential. Well, how are we to train them? First of all, it involves calling them to obedience. Notice what Paul says. He uses the word encouraging. This idea in the in the Greek is a word that was used for a coach who was cheering on, who was telling a tired and weary participant in a race to keep going, keep your eye on the prize, go for the win, make sure you run with all your heart, don't give up, don't give in, the race is almost done. And so what Paul is saying is is that we are to call our children and what it is to is obedience. Not to be a good volleyball player or baseball player, but to call them to be a wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. To call them to obedience. To pursue God with all their hearts. Growing up, my parents could have told me to be a good student. That didn't work. They could have told me that it was important to buy into a heavy dose of my heritage and to make that my central symbol, or it was to pursue great endeavors in life. And yet none of it was that. My parents taught me that it was important to pursue Christ with all my heart. The next thing we're to do is we're to comfort. We're to comfort them with our love. There are going to be times, the Bible makes it clear that in this world we will have trouble. There will be times when your daughter comes home and her heart's been broken. There will be times when your son comes home and he doesn't come home uh, just by himself but a bunch of men in blue and his arms are behind him. And those are going to be times where we need to deal with that. And the Lord knows I did. My dad always told me when you, uh, uh, when you get in trouble with the law, don't waste your phone call on me. Some of you got that. Um, But there are times where we need to comfort. There are times where we need to love. We need to put our arms around our children and we need to say, yes, there are consequences to your sin, but God loves you and I love you as well. My son is six years old and he has disappointed me with his actions at times. There are times where he shines like a brilliant star. And what I've learned is, and I've I've articulated to you as a child, I never understood how much I disappointed my parents and the potential that I had to make them so very proud of their child. But there are going to be times in either one they're going to need to be comforted. There are going to be times where they mess up big time and you are to show them love. You're to comfort them and tell them that it is not all over. If I had listened to everybody who told me that I wasn't going to make anything of myself, then I wouldn't be here today. But there were people that came around me like loving mothers and fathers in my life who said, just keep going. You're comforted by God loves you and God's got a special plan for you. The final thing that we see is we are to challenge them to Christ's likeness. The idea here in the NIV, the word urge, is that the life of the road of life isn't easy. There's pains and there's bumps along the road. As Christians, we are going to find ourselves in difficult times, but you are to do all that you can. I'm challenging you to live lives worthy of God. Live up to the calling that God has for you. We're so worried about where our kids are going to go to school. We're so worried about what they're going to make of their futures. Let's urge them not to straight A's. Let's urge them to be Christ-like in their lives. The grades will figure themselves out. God will work through those. Have them work hard in school, but have them work all the more hard when it comes to living a life of Christ. So what are we to walk away from? here? Before I get to my conclusion, let me just share some points to ponder. Some points to ponder here for a moment. What do we need to remember when it comes to parenting, when it comes to children? Number one, children are designed by God. Children are designed by God. 
Don't look at your children as a toil, as a, as a, a problem. Don't look at your children as what keeps you away from your social calendar. Understand that they are designed by God to be a joy to your heart. There be a, uh, there are children that are to bring us great joy and great happiness. I love my children. My children are some of the most fun I've had in all my years here on earth. They say the funniest things. They do the craziest stuff, and it delights my heart. Psalm 139.13 tells us that they are a creation of God. Honor that. Put all that you have into that. God has given you them on loan for the next 18 to 25, some of you, 47 years. Okay? (laughs) Work hard. Understand that God's given them to you for a purpose. It's an important task. The second thing you need to understand, children are different from each other. They're different from each other. They don't come in a mold. Some are funny, others aren't. Some are smart, others aren't. Some are able to think great ideas up. Others are more concrete facts. Some are popular, some aren't. They're not the same. If you've met my brother, you would say, well, we both have the same haircut, but we're completely different. And if you treat your children in one way, then you're going to have a problem. Train up your children in the way that they should go. How should they go? Each child has an individual bent towards life. I'm one that was always very quick to uh, say I'm sorry, but I was an impulsive child. My My brother, my younger brother, was more of the calculated guy, but he was stubborn and still is in many ways. We're different. And if my parents had treated us the same way, we would have had a problem. Noah's impulsive like his dad. Joshua looks at you and says, you talking to me? He's like this little Napoleon. He thinks he's... And and you guys got to quit telling him he's cute because he keeps telling us that. But mom, dad, I'm cute. Luke, he's just fat and sassy. They're different. The idea here of training a child in the way they should go literally is the Hebrew understanding of placing a, uh, in a horse's mouth a rope to lead and guide. But you don't want to break the spirit of the horse. You just want to lead and guide it. Some of us as parents are trying to form our children in a particular way that we're breaking the very spirit that God designed in them. Another thing that you need to understand is children are sometimes disobedient. When I gave this to Ray to look over the outline, I had children are disobedient. Ray said as a good grandfather, they're sometimes disobedient. Leave it to a grandfather to add the word sometimes, okay? When he was my age, he would have said they're always disobedient. But he he softened up in his grandfather years. They're sometimes disobedient. Psalm 51.5 says we are sinful in our mother's wombs. When we are born, I read one time that we are baby savages. Have you noticed, children? They're the most selfish individuals you'll ever know. It's me, 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 me. It's not about you. They don't care about you. Only about them. Children are disobedient. So what does that mean? What do we got for them, Bob? Ding, ding, ding. They must be disciplined. You got to discipline them. You got to deal with that area of disobedience. Boy, I learned this early on in my life. But why do we discipline? I'm just going to give you very quickly some points. Number one, it's to remove foolishness. Psalm 22:15. Folly is caught up or is stored up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Boy, that was a lesson I learned real early on in life. I didn't even know what folly was, but I learned about the rod of discipline. 
Number two, to rescue them from judgments. Uh, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. You want to spare your child the judgment of getting, finding themselves in a, a place of uh, unrepentance, in a place of finding themselves under the wrath and judgment of God or the law? Then discipline your children so they can receive wisdom. Proverbs 29, 15. You want to teach your children wisdom? Show them what it means that consequences come with wrong behavior. And finally, to reflect God's character. God disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. How do we do it? Just very quickly. Uh, the, the text says, uh, folly is uh, uh, stored up in the heart of a child, but the rod of, not the time out of discipline, just so you know. You want to know where I'm at on that? Spank your children. DCFS, you can come get me. Spank your children. God spanks us, we spank our children, okay? Do it lovingly. There's a good padded place that uh, is there for a reason. And do it with all love and sincerity. But take care of that. Drive that uh, from them so that they will be men and women who follow after God. I need to close, but let me close with this. Parenting isn't easy. For some here today, I haven't even talked on the subject of wayward children. We just had a, a, uh, a equipping conference that was done where it said that it's never too late. I recently was talking with a man who was delivering some uh, uh, items to my uh, catering shop. And he was talking, he's a Christian man, and he was talking about how his son at almost 27 years of age just came back to walk with the Lord. And that him and his mom, or him and his wife had been praying long and hard. And for 13 years, that kid had run away from God, and yet God brought them back. I haven't talked on that subject, but you pray. Pray for your children to come back to the Lord and let the Lord deal with them. What about those that are struggling in, in just very difficult situations? Maybe your child has special needs. Maybe your child is, is really fighting you every step of the way. You honor God and allow God to work through you, asking God for wisdom. Keith said, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. You want wisdom when it comes to parenting? Ask God. He gives without finding fault, and he gives generously. I haven't talked about a lot of other things, but understand this. You get your relationship right with God, your vertical relationship right, then your horizontal relationships, your worldly relationships, if you will, will become right as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we have spoken on this subject of parenting. And Lord, much of it has talked about our relationship with you. Father, encourage our parents' hearts to be sons and daughters of yours to be respectful of you, to put you in the proper place. Father, that we would store up your truth, that we would pursue you with all our hearts, our souls, and our strength. Lord, we want those types of children. We desire that type of family. But Lord, it begins with us. So Lord, work on our hearts this morning. Be with the mothers and the fathers who find themselves in the daily toil of raising children. And Lord, give them the wisdom, give them the insight, give them the strength from your spirit to be able to allow them to be the parents you've called them to be. Father, if there's someone here this morning who has never given their life to you, that they would do that this morning. Before they would leave this place, they would talk with me or, or one of uh, the people that they came with or someone at the Welcome Center to find out what it means. Lord, we can't get our earthly lives straight until we get our spiritual lives in order. 
So Lord, we understand that. We've seen that in your word. Now give us the power and the strength to live in that way so that we may bring as parents and as a people set apart from you, glory to you that when people see uh, us parent, as they see us walk through life, they will see us pointing to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.